Okay, good. Can we yeah. get started? Let's do it. All right. Want to turn your TV off or? <laughs> oh, so professional. Oh, big shot. Jeez. All right, TV's off. You have my undivided attention. This better be good. And now, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You've got to start somewhere. The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show today. My guest is radio and TV host Cat Lover, and now the Sunrise Weatherman. It's the man with a million ideas, Mr. Sam Mack. Hello, Rachel. It's great to be on. Thank you for having me. It Welcome to a- my abode. Uh, and and this is the so the gist of the podcast is kind of the early days. Is That's that right? It. You've yeah. got to start somewhere, right? Because I feel like in media, we all get a sense of people once they have a big profile and once they're recognised and there's that real, if, if, you know, often people can say, oh, they're an overnight success and you forget about the sort of 15 yeah. to 20 years mm. that led up to the point where all of a sudden you are just, you A know- global phenomenon, <laughs> to put words in your mouth. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> but whoever thought that you would become a weatherman, honestly, all those years of sort of, you know, uh, looking at the... Bureau of Meteorology, like uh, most men look at porn sites, you finally get to live your dream. Well, we all have our passions. Um, I do sometimes forget that I am a weatherman. And randomly, like, you know, I work at the SCG sometimes with the footy. People will shout out, hey, Sam, what's the temperature tomorrow? Like, and I, it dawns me, oh, they're asking me that because I'm a weatherman. I think because a lot of the time with with the job, as you would see when you see the crosses, it's it's not just weather. Like, weather is obviously in the middle of it, but around it, you uh, you know, in my mind, I'm like doing an entertainment or a colour piece or whatever you want to call it. Let's be frank, weather is about 0.2% of the yeah, gig. Yeah, when you go and, <laughs> yeah. like, get your qualifications to be a meteorologist, I don't think they ask you to bungee jump. <laughs> I don't think that's part of the curriculum. <laughs> so, I want to start way back at the beginning. I'm talking super, super beginning. Yeah. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Yeah, I I was really passionate about soccer and played up until probably the age of about 21, 22, really competitively. Like, you know, poured my soul, my heart and soul into it, gave it my everything, had dreams of playing for Manchester United. Um, I like to think that the dream is still a possibility. I mean, it'd be quite rare if they randomly signed a guy who hasn't played a competitive game for six years <laughs> from uh, from Sydney. But, you you yeah. hang on to that dream. <laughs> well, there's a guy named Roger Miller who famously scored at the World Cup when he was 42 years of age. Wow. So I have this dream. you got time. Yeah, I've got you plenty got of time. time. <laughs> Spring chicken. <laughs> what about, what were you like as a kid? Were you sort of the class clown, um, I, centre of attention guy? Oh, look, I, I definitely had moments where I was a centre of attention. Like, you know, I'd do things at assembly and, you know, I was definitely quite active and making videos and doing presentations and things like that. But I was, I, was, I think I was more along the lines of the, the puppet master. So I would have like a little squad, you know, <laughs> executing things that I was too scared to do. So basically. essentially just the kid that threw the other kids in the firing line <laughs> of the teachers. Yeah. yeah. What were you? <laughs> I was sort of the class clown. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of the people that I talk to on this podcast, you sort of, a lot of the people that knew them when they were kids say, I always knew you'd end up doing something like this. Yeah, but people say the same thing about serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they? Like, I always knew. You, never, around, never had any friends. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It's it's very obvious. What about showbiz? Because you strike me as somebody who would have had, would have wanted to get into it early. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I was a real vain piece of work. <laughs> I mean, I say was. I am a real vain piece of work. So just to give you an example. Um, I used to go to the soccer at Highmarsh Stadium in Adelaide with mm-hmm. my dad and once a week they would have what they call um, the match of the round or the match of the day and that meant that the live um, coverage would be happening in Adelaide and I knew exactly where to stand behind Les Murray to make sure that I was on camera and I'd have my mum at home recording it on a VHS and then when I got home that later from the game that night... I would watch, and do you know the pause still advance feature? So you, you can actually go frame by frame through video, and like I would be ecstatic if I was on there. Seriously, and like I go, Mum, don't ever tape over that one because I'm on for a good eight seconds on that one. So make sure you keep that. Yeah, I was obsessed with the fact that you know I could be on TV. 
Wow. Most of the people, you know, have that sort of when in back in VCR days when a particularly high traffic area on a usually a porn video would sort of get a bit smudgy once you've paused it too much. It's not porn with you, it's just Les Murray. This is the second time you've mentioned porn in this podcast. You invite yourself into my house for a podcast with your little bag of tricks. I'm just, you know the effort that I had to put in to actually get this equipment, set it up, look like we're recording, all in the hopes that eventually... Actually, we're going to get upstairs. I reckon I need to be rewarded for the amount of effort that I've put into this. You deserve setup. it. I even came up with bloody questions. Yeah, like I've done yeah. research. Here. You commit. You do commit. Well I done. sure do commit. Um, what about? Did you uh, study after school? Did you go to university? Yeah, I went to Adelaide University and studied psychology. Um, I didn't finish the degree, but I, I think even then. I knew that I wanted to do media. Like Mm. I was already kind of volunteering in radio and making videos and things like that. So I knew that that's where I wanted to go. But um, while I was studying psychology, I definitely found the subjects that were media related, like, you know, media studies and things like that. I was really, you know, some uh, subjects at uni you're really passionate about and you care about and others you just could not give a rat's ass about. So I knew that that was, you know, where the passion was was around. So, um, yeah, I never really felt that I was going to be a psychologist. It was just something that like, oh, yeah, it seems interesting, but... Second year psychology, anyone who studied it would know, it starts to become all about statistics and that is not where my brain is at, (laughs) not even close. I fell asleep in so many lectures and like to the point where not not just like micro sleeps in a lecture, to the point where someone would come over and go, excuse me, mate, and we're going to close the room up now. Like, huh? Oh, yes. Hi. (laughs) What about when you, so you got into radio through a competition on SAFM. It was a great wordplay. Um, The big TV show at the time was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and the competition was called Who Wants to Be a Co-Host on Air. <laughs> Great wordplay. Well played, SAFM. I, uh, I did go to Sydney University and also didn't finish my law degree, um, but I was a part of the law review and we used to do every year we would do a nude sketch where oh. we would all come out on stage nude. And during that same time when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was, was yeah. sort of really massive, we did the nude scene and we called it Who Wants to See a Willy on Air. Oh, that's even better. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, so... I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a. I'm it not wasn't you that was showing the Willie on air though, because that <laughs> no. would be a weird twist. No, it wasn't. But I and my friend Tom were in the sketch, and instead of phone a friend, we had feel a friend, and he had to grab my breast. <laughs> so really? yeah, truly, yeah, wow. in front of uh, in front of a large packed audience at the Footbridge Theatre. So <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like the Footy Show. I know, right? It is. It is. It really prepared me for my later time at Triple M. Yeah. So that was perfect. So you were also. Comp- Competing in that contest on in that contest with Limo. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, Limo of um, TV fame and stand-up comedy fame. And he, so what the, the competition was, uh, you get one day on air, so one morning on air with the breakfast team. And I play guitar and you know wrote some jokes and some awful puns and you know mm-hmm. basically what I still do today. <laughs> yeah. um, and Limo was uh, I think on in the first week and he was very good because he'd already had a bit of experience and he was uh, you know an accomplished stand-up. So everyone was like, oh, he he's he's got it. And mm-hmm. I was on the last day. And what happened was, at the time, you know, this is in line with what we're talking about today, you know, where you start or whatever, I, I at the time, was working in a call centre. Mm-hmm. So, the competition was, you know, call through and vote for your favourite. So, I had an entire call centre <laughs> with a big thing on the whiteboard saying, when you're not on calls today, call 131060, vote for Sam in this blah, blah, blah. So, I had this, like, you know, this group of about 50 middle-aged women calling all day. So, I rorted my way into show business, of course basically. You yeah. Of course you did. I'm sure the company, whoever it was that you were working for, were really chuffed that they were paying yeah, for yeah. you to get your leg up I into never showbiz. About that. Yeah, thanks. Every time they call, we have to pay for it. So obviously, you know, you've you've won the competition. You've come in. You're on air with the with the team, and then you sort of move into doing your own kind of on air stuff. Did you find that you sort of took to it like a duck to water? Yeah, I, like it felt right. Mm. It felt straight away like I felt that. And not, not in a big-headed way, but I thought, I can do this. Yeah. And I thought, you know, even though I haven't got the experience that some of these other guys have, I think I've got the ability. And, and you know, in that, they're not going to put you on air if they don't think you can do it. So, it was a good vote of confidence to have that straight away and to go from 
you know, a competition winner to suddenly being, you know, an employee mm. within the space of a few months. It happened that quickly for me. So, yeah, I was I was pretty lucky. And a lot of people have to go regional in radio to kind of, you know, earn their way to get to a capital city. I was very lucky. I bypassed that through, you know, the competition and, and I guess having the ability to do the job as well. But, yeah, I, I, was, I was super um, eager to learn and, you know, really put in the hard yards and was like throwing, like the soccer thing, throwing everything into it. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to do this. And each time I tick one little thing off, I was like, oh, I want to do the next thing. So it's like, you know, I want to have my own show. I want to mm-hmm. be on, you know, during the daytime, I, whatever the, the step was, I want to do a national show. And, it, and I just kept, you know, ticking those things off and still kind of operate like that today. There's like things that I want to do and and yeah, you've got to be goal driven. And I don't think people should be ashamed of having goals. Yeah, of course not. Mm. You, you and Limo, was that the first time you met? Because later, when we started working together, you were working with him again on the Will and Limo show. That's right. Yeah. So that's is that right. where you met on that comp? Or did you even meet on that competition? Or you just knew there was another bloke Limo you were against? We, I'm pretty sure we met through the competition. Yeah, and he ended up getting work at SAFM as well. Um, and he always, you know, he always gives me shit about the fact that some upstart came in with his stupid guitar, singing his little songs and wins the competition. And the prize was amazing. The prize was a trip to Edinburgh, uh, the comedy festival to review acts in the fringe. And, and it just blew my mind. I got to take my girlfriend at the time. You wow. go with the breakfast show. It was, yeah, an amazing baptism of fire in terms of, you know, getting at work in media. Um, so, yeah, and Limo and I became mates through through that and, and have you know, still mates today and I loved working on his show with, with Will. I was kind of the panel operator slash everything else. Like I ended up writing, mm. ended up doing my own segments, basically worming my way into the on-air <laughs> side of things, which <laughs> yeah. is a bit of a theme with my career. It's just like Will and Limo were in the meeting room going, mate, it's a private meeting, but you've just, oh, I've just got some ideas up on the whiteboard I wanted to run through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just you just stay there until they go, oh, just stuff it. Can we put him on air? <laughs> well, I kept coming up with ideas that, you know, I thought they'd go for like, like that, you know, under the guise of, oh, this will be great for the show, but it was actually just to get just on air. So, yeah. so, like, one of the ideas was, hey, you know, the callers are so important on our show. The sweet what? Jesus, oh, what, what was that? There? I don't know if that picked up on the mic, but it was a really loud bang. <laughs> <laughs> what could that have been? I don't know. I do live in Darlinghurst, so yeah, it's just something. another day. If, if this eventually goes to silence, <laughs> then. Oh, side note. Yeah. This laneway here, I won't say the name of it. Mm. Um, is act, was actually featured in a series of Underbelly, the one that was called Razorhurst. Uh, a gangster from Melbourne named Norman Brun was shot on that laneway. Truly. Yeah. If people Google that, they'll be able to work <laughs> out the laneway. <laughs> Don't Google it. Don't Google it. I'm number 17. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, talking about Limo. Yeah, so I had this idea of, all right, we love our callers on the show. What about if every Friday I do, um, you know, the caller of the week? And they're like, yeah, great, great, great idea. So then it became Sam Max Call of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> and it had the world's longest opener, which featured my name about six times. This is so you. <laughs> and I bet you just said, I bet you didn't even tell them. It's just it went to air <laughs> yeah. with the long intro. And you're like, well, that's a segment. It's a benchmark they now. They had time we- to go to the toilet just <laughs> during the intro. Um, yeah, I said to them, I got a little opener organised. Yep. But it was an opener with five fireworks out of X and like full band. Uh, yeah, so that – and then um, Gladiators was revived at the time and I love the TV show Gladiators. Oh, yeah. So I had my weekly Gladiators review. Of course you um, did. Yeah, so I just, you know, through little bits and pieces, wormed my way in like that. But um, they were great to work with and they were very accommodating of it and they kind of, you know, it became a bit of a joke within the show. Yeah. What about – you are obviously like a real ideas man. You ship out a lot of content. <laughs> Most of it not great, but yeah, there's a lot of quantity. That's what I'm known for. <laughs> quantity. I think they call it the scattergun approach. <laughs> yes. Eventually something will stick. Something will stick eventually. So what over the years, is there anything or any things that stick out as just the worst ideas oh you've God, ever done? So many. Oh, I don't know where to start. Like, honestly, we, we did a TV show, a uh, community TV show called Sam Max Single Bed. Okay, this is something I discovered in the research that I've never heard. Did you not know of. About I didn't that? know. We've oh, never had a right. conversation about Sam Max Single Bed. Yeah. Please talk me through it. At length. <laughs> Finally, it's getting the attention it deserves on a national I feel, scale. I feel like it needs a 20-minute opener with fireworks. <laughs> so, Sam Max Single Bed was a community TV show I did in Adelaide with a group of mates. Some of them were uni friends, some were radio friends, basically pulling in favours from anyone that I, you know, cross paths with <laughs> yeah. and then using the station's resources and guests, 
that people are like, how did you get Sean McAuliffe on this community TV right. show? And why was it filmed out the front of SAFM on Green Hill Road? <laughs> um, I was just, you know, passionate about I wanted to make TV. And, and I think there's a good lesson. Like a lot of the time people you know, young people who might be studying or whatever are interested in getting into this kind of field will write to me and go, how do I do it? And there's a lesson in there in that community TV show and that's to to just do stuff. And you can more than ever these days, like, you know, you look at you doing this podcast right now. Anyone can, you can do things on your mobile phone. You can go live on Facebook. You know, there's a real lesson in that just being a doer. And um, I think some people lack that. Some people might study and they might might have the hunger. But if you don't actually do it, you're not going to make the mistakes to improve and to get better and, you know, to develop your skills. So, so that's one thing I'm really proud of. Like a lot of the the shows are terrible. Like I look mm. back at them and there's Vox Pop segments that go for nine and a half minutes, you know, like <laughs> yeah. way too long, you know. Um, but it was, it was a chance for us to make mistakes and to network and to improve skills and, and I loved it. So yeah, it was just a TV show hosted from my bed. Um, and then I had a studio audience in my lounge room. I had a personal assistant who lived under my bed, <laughs> who basically I'd just bully on the show, a comedian named Jared Fitch, who was very funny. Uh, and it was sketches, it was interviews, it was music. Um, the Beards, who are an excellent band, um, they just had their last gig recently, actually. They they were my house band, so they had another band at the time, so they'd play in the lounge room and and yeah, it was just an opportunity to to make stuff and just mm. see where it goes. What about like the idea? Because I find that the thing I struggle with with that scattergun approach sometimes is that I'm a crippled perfectionist. Yeah, and I, you know, I get- clearly I don't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? I mean, like, because it's not like the stuff that you're making is bad. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I'm always amazed at the volume at which you can produce because I feel like I mull over things and over things. And you're right; it gets into paralysis by analysis because you think. Oh, okay, I'll yep. just put it on. Once you've lost your mojo, it's almost like you have the balls to do it and then you get so lost in it that you almost lose your mojo and then there's, yeah. I mean, I've got a million half-finished projects, you yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. So that idea of almost just, look, ship it out and get it going yep. is is such a great approach because I think in this business in particular, you you do need to be producing all the time. Yeah, I think you do. And like, I, don't get me wrong, I definitely have some half-finished ideas and things that I've thought about or talked about for a long time that I haven't followed through with but Mm. I get a buzz out of making stuff that's why I'm in this industry because I love creativity like if if it was to you know if someone boiled it down like why do you do what you do it's because of creativity like that that's essentially what it all comes back to for me it's like making stuff and then there's like it branches out to working with other creative people fun people you know um, no day is the same like particularly with the role at the moment with sunrise weather I'm at a different location every day, but I'm doing different things, meeting different people, learning about different places every day, mm. uh, which is exciting. I love that. So, yeah, I think you know, if if you want to be, if you want to do well in this business, I think you've got to you've got to back yourself in and and have output. You know, you, and it's not all going to be perfect. And everyone has stuff. You know, even the best in the business. You know, Ricky Gervais and guys that I really love. They'll sometimes do something that I go, oh, I didn't really love that. Yeah. But then the next day they'll do something like, I love that. And mm. then the next day I love that. But you know, they're they're making stuff. They've got output. What about like feedback? How do you go with do you do you get much negative? Because you know you can't please everybody. Mm. I get. And it's that classic thing. I think it's a classic performer thing. You know, you get a hundred great comments and one negative and it's the one negative one that you can recite, you know, word for word. You remember their full name, (laughs) where they live and what colour t-shirt they're wearing. Yeah. Um, It's just, that's just, I think, part of it. Uh, I'm pretty lucky. I think women definitely cop it worse than men in my Mm. experience. I mean, men cop it as well, but like just as a general thing over social media, I think that... You know, it's really nasty to to women in particular. Uh, I'm I'm lucky. I think um, maybe it'll change after this podcast. But <laughs> but I've I've gotten off almost scot free. Like you get the odd like, oh that was shit or that's not funny. But you know that that's fine. Like, yeah. You know, there'd be something wrong if you weren't getting a little bit of that. Like you don't want to be so beige, so boring that no one even notices what you're doing. And I think the difference often is like if you are able to laugh at yourself, mm. and if you stuff something up and somebody calls you out on it, I will always if I get somebody you know writing on Facebook or tweeting that my article was shit I'm like yep great you know best comment of the day yeah, you know yeah. because it's part of the job absolutely whereas you'll see a lot of people that will be so, you know they bleed on the page yeah. and they're so wounded yeah. when it doesn't and you think it's so not about you you mm-hmm. know you you are putting content into the big machine it gets interpreted the way in which it, it gets interpreted and if you if you felt so 
attached emotionally to everything you did, yep. we would be broken humans. Definitely. And, you know, you're not Kim Jong-un. You can't control. <laughs> so you only get positive feedback, you know. You've won the World Cup. Congratulations. Um, yeah, it's true. And and I think you, you touched on a really important point there and you've got to be able to laugh at it and you've mm. got to be able to see it for what it is, which, you know, really at the end of the day, most of this stuff, you know, is, is pretty trivial. Yeah. You know, but... I laugh at it. Like I had a, a thing which I posted the other day because it amused me. And some people are, oh, that was so rude of that guy to say that to you. And like it probably was. So what happened was I was getting on a flight and a guy turns around, looks at me and he says, I know you. And like you get that a little bit. Sometimes it's they sort of recognize you don't know where from. Sometimes they think they went to school with you or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So I never say anything other than, oh, hello, how are you going? Like I don't sort of look for clues. I just like, yeah, hello, how are you? Yeah. And then he says... You're the second almost famous person I've met this week. <laughs> and it took me a while to compute what he was saying. Like, ouch, like that is that is a Zingerberger right yeah. there. So then I'm I'm about to respond to it and then he goes, Yeah, you and Reese Maston. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. And then before I even had a chance to respond to that bit, he goes, Is Reese Maston still a thing? <laughs> and then before I had a chance to respond to that, I'm just bamboozled by this guy. He goes, Are you a thing? <laughs> So then I had this existential crisis, like, am I a thing? And I don't know if I'm a thing. So I put that on social media with the hashtag, am I a thing? Yeah. And people are telling me that I am a thing. Some people saying, look, I've still got a bit of work to do in a few years. I could potentially be a thing, but I'm not quite there. I've got thing-like tendencies, but I'm not a thing yet, confirmed. So you've got to be able to laugh at it. And I found that interaction hilarious, whereas some people would really, like, you know, find that hurtful. And I think some people would post on their social media pages and go, I can't believe this guy said this, where, you know, and and that, unfortunately, you know, those people don't have the presence of mind to realise, actually, that's going to turn more people against you. If you put a post up and say, have a look, this is, isn't this hilarious? I'm like a, you know, Z grade celeb in this guy's (laughs) eyes. He's got no, and Reese Maston. (laughs) I mean, what a comparison. (laughs) What a comparison. You know, but that, I think that kind of stuff is incredibly endearing and it also helps helps to buffer you in a way yeah. from that kind of yeah, negative but, attention. But the good thing for me is that's naturally what I'm like. Exactly. You know me. Like that's yeah, my yeah. personality Definitely. and you're the same. We've mm. got very self-deprecating senses of humor. Like you'd never if it, if it reached a point where you took all that stuff too seriously then I think you've got a problem because I I will always and have always embraced the the ridiculousness mm. of, of that that sort of work and what comes with the work and how fickle it is and you know I'm very realistic about it all. But um, I think it's good to share those things on social media because it's I think it's a bit of an in- insight for people Definitely. who haven't experienced that side of they don't have that sort of work. They go oh wow they they get you know interactions like that that would be a bit weird. Even today walking down my own street a guy goes hey you're the guy from the TV I'm like hello and he just kept walking. That's yeah. it. So you just, it's very odd like it feels Truman Show at times. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I bet you walked the block again just so you didn't open. I was wearing a sunrise hat. Uh- <laughs> of course you were. And a sunrise t-shirt and a little sign that pointed down on yeah. the bloke from sunrise. Yeah. yeah. So you've done a lot of telly and a lot of this kind of, um, you know, similar to this weather stuff where it's sort of little bits and pieces mm. of... Like you and I both did the project, the whip around, yeah. a, lot, a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that kind of, you know, come up with a creative way to, to talk about something different. You know, a lot of segments sort of stuff why are you laughing you know, no, I'm having flashbacks to like how short the metro whip arounds were when we worked on the project on channel 10 like my favorite one so that was the segment that used to be on on the friday night yeah. if you're not familiar with it um where they cross around to a different person in each city mm. and uh my favorite one was when they started rapping me before that even thrown to me <laughs> they go sam you're gonna have to wrap it up i literally hadn't said a word they were still crossing to melbourne this like sam you're gonna have to wrap it up I'm like i'm not on yet <laughs> This is the amazing thing about the whip that a lot of people don't realise. You know, the prep that went in, because you would have to write a script, come up with an idea. You know, they would sort of say, this is where we want you to go. And then you'd come up with a little concept and you'd write a script. The script would get approved. It would have to go to legals. You know, all of these kind of things for literally at an absolute maximum. 30 seconds oh, totally. on That's air. on a good day. And that That's is on a, on a really good, good day. day. More often than not, what would happen is that the camera would start rolling and you would get a word in your ear that just would go, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. And then all of a sudden, that script you've been practicing all day, all yeah. of those ideas just go out the window as you are trying to madly fumble your way. I felt like that sort of two and a half minutes of television was for me like watching a visual representation of <laughs> anxiety. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Did you feel anxious after it? Because I Every certainly time. did. But what it did do was it made me, I got really good at wrapping up conversations quickly with my friends, you know, at the pub, <laughs> like I'd just rap, rapping, boring, get, yeah. get to the next one. Move it right along. It was amazing. The other thing that used to 
absolutely drive me nuts at those things was, you know, because the process is so long to get everything approved and you've literally got 15 seconds at best usually, whenever a PR person oh, would yeah. turn up yeah. from one of the companies where you're at <laughs> with their list of things they'd like you to get into the broadcast. And yeah, I was like, yeah. is this, like, this is not a 30-minute interview with the set. I've had people, did you have this happen? Often people would bring like this. I've had a CEO turn up oh. once. Oh, the mayor. I'm a classic for the mayor. Oh, the mayor's here. The mayor's available for a chat. You've never seen the show. You've never seen the segment and it's an inconvenience. The mayor was always available though. Always available. I always, before I was actually doing the segment and when I would watch it, because often people will try the interview in the whip around. Oh, yeah. And it was always your person, your Adelaide's, that were a little up the top of the bill and could spare the two and a half minutes and then the rest of us were floundering at the end desperately trying to deal with the 15 seconds we'd been left. But I always thought once I started doing the segment, I was like, man, the interview is a brave move because yeah. oh, it's risky. If they stumble one arm or one R, it's like, mate, there goes half my cross. Thanks a lot, Mayor. I know. Oh my god, it was the most. And and did you used to get stressed in the leader? I would be stressed all day because you never knew what was going to happen in that yeah, in that third. Totally, I still seconds. have like flashbacks to it. Like, and I'm lucky now that I do seven crosses a morning, but they're still quick. They're short yeah. crosses, and I do get wrapped quite often. But I, I love the segment though. It was a yeah, great segment. It it's a shame fun. that they're not doing it. Anymore. I know, I know. It's interesting because when they were hanging on to it, you know, one of the things that one of the guys at the project said was, oh, it's, you know, it's our highest recall thing when people yeah, say... Yeah, people love it because yeah. they love seeing their own city. Exactly. Very rarely would people go to the events. Of course. <laughs> we were under no illusion. Because the thing was, you couldn't pick up a damn detail. You know, <laughs> it, was just, yeah. it was just four or five people Absolutely. screaming <laughs> into the camera. With some weird prop gag. And i got to be honest, I would always prioritise with gag over yeah. information about what we're actually doing. <laughs> Sometimes I forgot what we were actually yeah. you know, mentioning. Absolutely. But it's interesting you mentioned the PR. It almost boils down to two categories. You know, the PR person is either hot yeah. or good at their job. <laughs> Very rarely do you get the two. Very rarely. It's like yeah. a unicorn sighting. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, when you turn, when you look at someone who's like a little lower down on the attractiveness scale, you're like, you're an applied person. You know how this works. You and I are going to get along just fine. It's, in, it's interesting, the world of PR. Yeah. I, don't, I feel like they put their job descriptions up on like Tinder or something. Yeah, I feel like that's where they're getting their, you know, they put it up on dating sites or something yeah. because they seem to have a high level yeah. of very, very attractive women oh, yeah. who get into PR. Absolutely. Um, do you, I mean, obviously with all of these segments and things like The mm. Whip and doing those kind of little silly creative things, is there anything that you think over the time, I can't believe I got away with that? Or- yeah. yeah, definitely. There was one, I can't even remember the context for it, but I wanted to wear a balaclava <laughs> it was a terrible a terrible idea okay. but i'm pretty sure we did it and and it wasn't the fact that i wore the balaclava on tv which was alarming enough mm-hmm. it was the fact that there were kids around <laughs> so, so that was i think that was a whip around um i've definitely had a lot of those moments i think because you know you're doing so much of it like sometimes you come up with an angle and you got to have something you got to have an angle and you're not going to get it right every time i'm laughing because in my mind i have the vision of you with that kid on the hoverboard <laughs> If you haven't seen oh it, you must God. Google it. It's where Sam's talking to this kid on. It's not really a hoverboard. It's one of those skateboards. Segway, that, yeah, yeah things. wheels, motorized. They were popular for about two months until they started burning people's houses down. <laughs> I did the kid a favour. No, but what happened, that was in the Rundle Mall. It was a live yeah. cross on Sunrise and it went viral. Mm. Um, but what happened was um, a kid on Boxing Day, so we were talking up the Boxing Day sales. This mm. kid had got one of those the, the day before. So he hadn't really mastered how to get off them yet. But we agreed in the cross that I... I would come over to him and he'd let me go on and I'd ride off to the mall's balls. It's going to be a great end to the cross. It'd be, it'd be brilliant. So as I go to, um, you know, to sort of go, all right, Charlie, I'm going to grab the hobble when I go to pat him on the back. Literally the split second that I touch him, he goes ass up and it just looks like I've pushed a kid off the hoverboard. Like, and from even, I know that I didn't push the kid off the hoverboard, but I watch it back and I'm like, I just pushed a kid off the hoverboard. <laughs> <laughs> the look, it's interesting when, you know, when you're in media and your friends start to be those people that are doing this. And I know you and I've known you for a long time and the look on your face. <laughs> I just thought he is in that moment where it's like, i got to keep the cross going, but I've also just... 
pushed a jaw off. <laughs> yeah, let's pretend nothing's happened. Yeah. Oh, keep man. going. Showbiz. Just keep tap dancing. One of my favourite things is one of my mates actually took that vision and put the um, Curb Your Enthusiasm theme behind oh. it. So as I pushed the kid off the whole board, boom, boom, boom. It was so perfect. Um, what about, what do you, is there any gig over the years, you know, because obviously when you start out, it's not all pushing kids off hoverboards. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've got to work for a you long got, time to get to that level. you got to work your way up to that. Were there any really bad gigs that you've done? And oh, I don't, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so... My first real TV gig. So I told you about Sam Mac Single Bed. Uh, How that could was kind I of, yeah, that was a believe it or not, but that wasn't a paid gig. Uh, <laughs> that, that will be the stuff of my nightmares for years to come. <laughs> the networks weren't lining up for that one. Yep. Um, my first gig, and actually as a result of that, because I'd send out show reels and you know little bits and pieces, was I got a, a job on a show called uh, The Big Night In with John Foreman. Remember the musical guru yes. from Australian Idol and various other, and it was a good show, but. I didn't really pay complete attention to what my role would be on the show. So I got to do some fun stuff, but a part of my role was advertorials. Now, oh, John O'Coleman yeah, style. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but this show was on late at night. So they were adult products. So I was oh. doing advertorials for adult products. Like sex toys and sex things. Sex toys, yeah. No. Yeah, so that was one of my like, ooh. I mean, <laughs> some of the show was great, but that bit, not so much. What else did I do? Oh, hosted a wild turkey radio show on Triple M. Did you yeah, really? I've never drank wild turkey in my life. And Actually, one of the things that I noticed when I was looking around was that you hosted, was it Freak Radio with the Imogen? Freak show. The Freak Show with Imogen Bailey. Was that where she developed her horrible fear of refugees? <laughs> Do you remember she was on Go Back to Where You she Came was, From? Yes. Something as soon as I read that, I was like, I think that a little bit of that developed with the old Sam Mack. Horrible I've never racist. That link. Yeah. Yeah, that was not good, was it? That no. was not good. Um, no. no, she didn't push that agenda on the freak show when we were playing the Hottest Hits at night, uh, which was probably a good thing. You know, I, I was reading through your uh, your bio. I love going through people's Wikipedia what pages and scenes. Well, you know, the thing that really concerned we me. Should, sorry, we should point out that we've known each other for years and are friends. And I love that you had to read a bio before chatting to me. This is <laughs> well, great. I want to make sure that, you know, because some things you miss, but the thing that I feel is a glaring omission mm. in your Wikipedia yeah. page, we say, you know, we're going originally from Adelaide, got his big break on the radio when he won SAFM's Who Wants to Be a Co-Host on Air. Yep, that's all good. Late night show on SAFM, joined Triple M's Will and Lemo show, mm. did the Hot 30 Countdown, went over to Perth for MSAM uh, and Sam Mack show, you know, did an over breakfast with Kate Ritchie, obviously doing Sunrise. Not a single mention of Gourmet Radio. <laughs> yes, that is a major omission. Not right. a single mention of the nighttime one hour or something show we did on a Thursday <laughs> evening uh, for Today FM called Gourmet Radio. Where we intentionally pronounced it incorrectly exactly, yeah. every time. And like the only time we'd get feedback or people would call would be like, hey, you're saying gourmet wrong. <laughs> that would be the only feedback. And that was from management. That was from yeah. everyone. Um, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. I remember you were talking before about, you know, ideas. You look mm. back and you're like, oh. There was definitely one that we tried on that show where I don't even remember how it came up, but we wanted to do throughout the show, say it was like an hour long, we wanted to, each time we came on, pretend that the world's longest table tennis rally was happening. Oh. So we had a sound effect of like table tennis ball being hit. And we started at the start of the show. Then every time we'd start our breaks, you'd hear a little bit of it back and forth, back and forth. And I'm pretty sure we did it for a whole show. I think we did. I really think we did. I can't believe it was axed. I can't believe it either. I also remember that I, I remember recording a uh, a theme song for that. Uh, do, do you remember it at all? I can, it, will, it is stuck no, in my... No, I don't. Please. Uh, it's Gourmet Radio, we're about to start the show. Yes, it's Gourmet Radio. Bon Appetit. <laughs> that is brilliant. That was our Did theme you write show. that? Did yeah. we write that? Yeah, no, no, no. I remember, I remember oh. distinctly uh, because our Gourmet Radio page, will you believe it, on Facebook still exists. Is it still there? It's still so Is there a lot of activity? Last post, 2009. <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting thing about it was that I remember doing that uh, theme song and then I played it for you in the studio and the, there is a video still online really? so I'll, yeah I'll have to I'll have to share that it with you it's amazing yeah it is but I, 
do remember good old gourmet radio Bon Appetit. You know, yeah, you can edit Wikipedia, so maybe you should. Okay, add that, I, sh- I think I'm, I think I'm going to get in there for my own uh, for my own pleasure. You know, while we're at it, I have a bit of a bone to pick with oh, you. Oh, bring it on! You were, of course, the voiceover guy for first dates. Little someone over this side of the table auditioned for that role. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. Well, hang on. Um, well, let's let's let the audience decide. So, what did what did your read sound like? So, say you know you're watching a date. What what did it sound like? John is lonely and is looking for love. Rihanna is walking in, wondering what she's going to find. <laughs> it sounds a little bit too one nine hundred six two three sixty three. Um, I I go for um. Has Glenn met the love of his life in Marissa? Well, that's my vibe on right. it. I mean, obviously, the executives, you know, they went with me in the end. It's not a competition. Well, it is. <laughs> well, it um, is. I won. You did. Um, you I know didn't the, know that. You know the interesting thing, though, is I didn't realise that was you. I watched that show and I I did not realise really? that was your voice. And then wow. afterwards, I was like, I've read it somewhere. <laughs> you know, the only reason that I'm glad I didn't get that gig was so I didn't have to be asked 75,000 times during the PR journey yes. about my first dates and whether I'm in a relationship. Which I'm doing at the moment, honestly. <laughs> and I have I find myself like one of those dolls that you press the button and it just says the same catchphrase. Same thing. So I say things like, well, it's kind of like Tinder, but on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I, the only thing that I did want to delve a little more deeply into was that the girl that vomited over the balcony oh, after she kissed you. Yeah, yeah, that's a true story. <laughs> I felt like that was a good story that came out. Is that yeah, really what happened? Yeah, that happened. So that was in my Adelaide days and... And um, uh, a girl that I'd, you know, I'd known for a few years, but we hadn't ever, there was no romantic link, much like you and I, your obvious yeah. <laughs> chemistry intention, but nothing ever happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but what happened was, um, yeah, we kissed and then I was on a, I had a balcony, we kissed and then literally within a few minutes of the kiss, mm. I see her sort of leaning over the balcony and I just hear this splash <laughs> sound. I can still remember the sound, that splash of it hitting the ground. Oh, God. And, um and like she, she claims that it was just a risotto that she had at dinner, and it was no reflection. It was not a review of my kissing technique. If I was an Uber driver, five star reviews all the time with my kissing corbs. You know the interesting thing that I find about the fact that you are doing the the, the PR um, conveyor belt of interviews yeah. is. You know, it wasn't like on Sale of the Century they interviewed John Deeks all the time. Like, when has the voiceover guy been the go-to guy? Well, it's, that comes with being a global phenomenon. Of That's part of, of part of what you sign up for. Of course. I'm sorry. I, I totally forgot. But, no, what happens is people ask me, because I'm narrating that show, people ask me for dating advice and dating tips. I'm in my mid-30s and single. Like, I should, I'm not the go-to guy for that conversation. You're also reading a script. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. It's yeah. not you sitting in there, Wizard of Oz style, as the puppet master behind these relationships. You aren't, you know, doing the sort of married at first sight style thing where you're putting together people sitting down using the three quarters of your psychology degree to match up people who are going to be compatible. You've literally walked into a voiceover booth and yeah. they've got written, John is lonely. He's in tonight. He's meeting. How Cassandra. dare you undermine my role as the narrator on first dates? Um, you know, some people do think that I'm there. Or some people go, oh, what was he like? What was he like off camera? Like people think that I'm there. Yeah, it's, it's, you know what? I think obviously when you work in the industry, we are very close to it and we, yeah. we know how it all works. We know the magic. But yeah. for your average Joe Blow, like mm. for some people, and I love it when like, you know, members of my family, for example, who just have no idea how the whole system works and the shonkiness and yeah. the dodgy moves and like, I, I love that. I, I love that they think you're just sitting under the table, <laughs> yeah, talk, you know, just yeah. narrating as these people go through their first date. Um, take me quickly back to the gig over in Perth that you did. Yeah. You know, obviously you're originally an Adelaide guy. You know, you've done Perth, you're here in Sydney. How did you cope with the moving? Have you always done it quite well or did you find it difficult? Because I found that one of the toughest parts of the gig. Definitely, yeah. I mean, the the first move was a big one and that was from Adelaide to Sydney. I'd lived in Adelaide my whole life. Um, I think I was about 24 or something and I, I decided that if I really wanted to have a go at this media thing, whether it be TV, radio, et cetera, um, I had to be in Sydney or Melbourne. Mm. And the job came up. Little did I know that I'd be promoting adult products <laughs> on TV. Um, but I took <laughs> I took that job, moved to Sydney, and, and it was hard. The first year was genuinely hard. I, I almost moved back to Adelaide. Mm. You know, and if I did, I never would have been the narrator on first dates. Well, you know, you would have got the gig. I would have know, gotten the gig. what a tragedy that would have been. <laughs> um, so that, that was hard the first year. But then, I don't know, after about a year, I really got Sydney and I, 
and I just lo- I love Sydney. I you know bought a house here now. I'm very happy here. I go back to Adelaide a lot to see the family. The Perth move was really tough as well because I had a girlfriend at the time who was living in Sydney. So yeah. we were doing like you know you know what it's like doing mm. a distance relationship. But Perth is another layer to that because mm. it's it's such a long flight, but also the time difference. And I was doing breakfast radio hours here, a bit grumpy, and that was really tough. Um, but with the role at the moment, I'm all over the place, and this has its own challenges. I mean. You know, I'm lucky and I'm grateful for it. And people are like, it's the best job in the world. You get paid to travel. And you do, in a sense. But anyone who travels knows that it's not always luxury yeah, and glamorous. And a lot of the time, you literally get somewhere, do the job, straight to the airport. You mm. know, you won't hang around and spend three days on an island. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's part of the gig, I think. And I'm glad that I've made those moves. They've all been the right move. Look, you know, there's not one move that I look back on and go, I shouldn't have done that. So moving to Sydney was necessary to kind of challenge myself to go up against the best in the business and really push myself rather than being comfortable in Adelaide, which I could very easily have done. Moving to Perth was important because it was a chance for me to drive and have my own brekkie show. And it's a capital city breakfast show. Sure, I wouldn't have picked Perth as the number one option, but that's mm. where it was. And it was with a friend of mine, M, and eventually with Basil Zemplers. And so I needed to do that just for my own development. Then I called the I pulled the pin on the radio thing over there and decided to move back to Sydney because I knew I was doing a bit of TV, you know, eight seconds of the whip around getting yeah. wrapped from Perth. I knew <laughs> yeah. that I had to go to Sydney or Melbourne again to push TV and, and I moved back from from Perth to Sydney with nothing lined up. I had no job. I just knew I'd save some money. I just knew that this is where I've got to be to make a goal of it. So and I think that brings a certain hunger with it. So Definitely. as soon as I move back, I'm like, right, what do I do? How do I do this? So calling people, meetings, whatever. And luckily enough for me, within a couple of months I had a contract at the project. So, you know, there's something to be said for really, you know, pushing yourself and, and going for it and not staying comfortable. That's how I approached anyway. That's probably an interesting because sometimes in this business I feel like you can feel feel as though you're being pulled in a million different directions and going wherever the wind takes you because you sort of say yes to whatever opportunities arise. But that seems to be more of an approach where you sound like you're a bit more in control. Like have you felt like you've been in control or do you think that the change for you was that move to Sydney where you went, you know what, I'm now in control, I want to do this, I'm going to say no to that gig? Because saying no to gigs is a big deal too. Yeah, yeah, and they make you, sometimes they make you feel like, oh, you won't get another one, and they'll even say things like that. It can be quite harsh if they really want you in a certain role. Um, It's an interesting question. I think I really took control when I ended my radio stint in Perth. I signed for two years there, and I ended up doing three, and... By halfway through the third year, I knew that that was it for me. Mm. Um, so I told them as early, you know, gave them lots of notice and all that kind of thing. But that, and that's when I moved to no job. But that was a pivotal moment because I took control and I thought, well, I've got money saved. So it's not like, you know, I can't eat. I've got at least six months to, to just go for it and see what I can do with TV. And didn't know where that was going to lead and how that was going to play out. And it's one of the best things I've ever done. Mm. It was scary. And it was definitely like, oh, you know, times when I'm sort of sitting at home, nothing to do, no plans, no work coming up in two weeks or three weeks or a month, nothing, literally mm-hmm. nothing. And I'm like, have I made the right decision? But then it, things work out, you know, and, and things, if you chase if you chase it hard enough, things will fall into place, I believe. So, and it, yeah, I'm so grateful that I made those decisions and took control and wasn't just dictated to by, you know, bosses in radio or TV or whatever it might be, because ultimately it's your life and you've got to go, all right, well, what, what's important to me? And I'm like, I really wanted to live in Sydney. I really wanted to push TV. Great. Let's go for it. I'll make it work. One of the most, one of the things that I think is the best piece of advice, you know, when people are starting out in this business is to, to save your pennies on a contract like it's going to be your last. Totally. Because I had a similar situation when my last contract ended and I had I had really approached it because I'd had a contract before that where I it had been pulled out from under me and I hadn't expected it and the desperation at which I grabbed at whatever piece <laughs> yeah. of media driftwood <laughs> would come my way. I mean, I would have cleaned the toilets because I was completely unprepared financially yeah. and emotionally and psychologically. And I remember when I eventually did grab a bit of driftwood and I did get another gig, (laughs) I remember saying to myself at that time, I will never be in that situation again. And the thing that gave me that freedom was having the money there to say, okay, if I don't get a gig for six months, which similarly happened to me, it's going to be okay. 
I think it's so important. And uh, yeah, I totally agree. I, I think I'm lucky, you know, my, my parents aren't overly wealthy and they've always mm, installed into me that, you know, when you've got a bit of money, like be smart with it, be safe with it, whether it's buying a house, you know, or keeping some in your, you know, in your account. So I've always had that, which was good. And I couldn't have, I probably couldn't have done it, you know, after the radio thing in Perth, if I didn't have that money saved, you know, to have a go of it, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So yeah, that's really good advice. Okay. Uh, we're almost at the end here. What? Tell me what you think is the best and the worst thing about this industry (laughs) (laughs) wow um i think the best thing about it is the creativity the creative experience i I mentioned it before that's genuinely what i love about it um you know working with people that you know you share a creative vision with coming up with things or or someone that maybe you don't but then finding the common ground to make something with them so the the creative side of it is the best part um the worst part, oh, that's that's really difficult because I love, I genuinely love it. I think um, for me, probably the worst part is not getting as much time with my family and friends. You know, missing a lot of you know friends' birthdays, um, you know, family time. You know, because you're interstate or you've got gigs at night or whatever it might be. So that's something that I'm trying to get a better balance with. Um, really tough to do at the moment with this role with, yeah. with Sunrise, but. Yeah, that's probably the worst part of it. But, you know, that's that's just one of the challenges that you've got to work on. So I, I like to finish up with the final five, but that confuses Ooh. people because then I actually have another question at the end. Final so five hours of the podcast. <laughs> final five hours <laughs> wow. of us together. It's how, just how a big lot are of, these HD cards you're using? <laughs> it's just a lot of spooning <laughs> and silence and me crying, <laughs> weeping into your chest. Uh, so I've, I'm going to rename it as the penultimate five. Oh, that's good. Uh, like so that, that you don't feel like at the fifth question we're done and then I ask you another question you said that's actually six questions. Is this how you conduct your dates as well? <laughs> yes, yes. And I have my computer out at my dates as well with a Word document open so that I know how to keep on track with my conversation. Uh, so question the first of the penultimate five, mm-hmm. your biggest regret? Biggest regret, uh, I touched on it before, was mm. not not spending enough time with family and friends. So, are you guys close with? Are you close with your family? Yeah, 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 I am, and I talk to them quite a bit on the phone, but it's not the same, you know, as face to face. That's one of the challenges of you know this role and media. Like, you know, if I was in Adelaide, I wouldn't get anywhere near the opportunities that I've had over the last ten years or so. So, but it's something that I'm aware of and something that I'm working on. I think you know, going forward, I, I want to get better in that area. Do you think you've? Because I'm sure you're quite. Uh work I don't want to say obsessed because that sounds like a bad word to use and that's not what I mean but a bit of a workaholic yeah in a way yeah it's a huge part of me Mm. but that's a good thing as well because you're passionate about it and it's what you love doing and you get paid to do what you love doing but I think you know and I possibly has affected you know relationships you Mm -hmm. know maybe that's an area that that I need to be aware of. You know, I'm still single with two cats. <laughs> we haven't talked about the cats <laughs> oh, yet. Oh, we will. And I brought it up. <laughs> oh, we will. Don't you worry about yeah. that. I think that's a... Because I'm definitely a workaholic and I, I'm in a relationship now, but I'm realising how much my attention to work... And I think it's a, a it's a product of the business as well because you have to be producing all the time and, and creating all the time. But I think it's almost... I don't know if it's the same for you, but it's almost like there is no off switch. It's, yeah. it's part of who you are. Yeah. And it's just natural. You wake up and you have ideas and you want to say things and, and it do doesn't things. feel like work no. that's the other thing I could sit at my computer all day long writing or creating whatever because it doesn't actually it feels like leisure time to yeah. me and yeah. that's the real difficulty when you have to separate the two and, and I think you know certainly now being in a relationship I mean I'm in a long distance relationship so in some ways it's kind of good because I can you know when we're apart I can focus on work but yeah. when we're together I'm, I'm definitely conscious it's something new to me of being like oh gosh I have to really be mindful of yeah. this and yeah you have to stop narrating the dates that you guys are out on that yeah. is a real issue yeah or like recording everything or writing down an idea every time he says something it's like you know what how about we just watch a movie for once and you just leave it be um what about what's your dream gig or something you haven't crossed off the bucket list yet um i've always loved the idea of um a tonight show type mm-hmm. arrangement um particularly love the idea of a live tonight show you know like there is you know those things do exist but there's a lot of them are pre-recorded during the day um I'm lucky with the role that I have at the moment. It's it's almost a different job every day, which is good for someone with a short attention span like me. And it's live. You know, I yeah. get to do seven live crosses every day. Like some of them are really short and mainly about the weather, but then some of them, like there's no rules. So mm. they've been really good, the team at Sunrise, with letting me kind of just go for it and try things. You know, like some of the, the most fun things I've done 
in the industry have been this year in this role. And mm. it's like, I'm a weatherman, but we talked about it before. I, when the Olympics were on and, and Usain Bolt was, was running that day, I had this idea on the morning of like, what about if I race against a ute that's traveling at the same speed that Usain Bolt runs and we call it Ute Sane Bolt. <laughs> Amazing wordplay. <laughs> Fast forward two hours, we're doing that live on air. Yeah. And I lost the race, which is, you know, Naturally. hurtful. <laughs> he, Naturally. he runs at 42 kilometers an hour. Something That's to that effect. So the the ability to just have an idea and, you know, with a great team, great producers, Sean Flynn, aka the human emoji. Um, <laughs> Why producer, is he the human emoji? Because he looks like an emoji, the one with the glasses <laughs> yeah. and the big smile uh, and the, the bald head. Um, he's excellent and he's. He's what he's got one of the key qualities I think producers should have, and that is a can-do attitude. Mm. So sometimes, and you would have had this, sometimes with producers, the instinct is like, oh, we probably can't do that because of blah blah blah. Nine times out of ten, he was like, well, let's try. We can do it because of this, this, and this. He'll come up with the reason you can do it. You might have to tweak it a bit or compromise, but mm. if you've got that approach, if you've got a can-do attitude as a producer, that is such a, such a great thing to work, good energy to be around, I mm. think. What about uh, what's a big idea and maybe uh, you're not going to give me one that you might eventually <laughs> make and you don't want to reveal on the potty, but uh, what's a big idea you had that never got up? Well, I have one that I still want to do, which is um, – it could be a podcast, it could be a video, I'm not sure, but the concept is I'm a r- really um, passionate fan of music mm. and I think that you learn a lot about people through their music choices and songs and, you know, a song that made them cry or a song that makes them think of their, you know, their dad or whatever it might be. I, I love that. I love stories through music. So, I have an idea to do some sort of podcast or show where I get people on and we, you know, I ask them maybe seven songs, seven questions, you know, what was the first song that you physically purchased or whatever it might be and then we get mm-hmm. the stories behind it. So, yeah, I'm really excited. Someone's going to steal that now. No, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no, a- you can't just say copyright. Right, yeah, copyright, same yeah. I mean, there's versions of that kind of thing out there, but mm. that's something I'd love to do. And I hopefully I can do in 2017. What was the first CD you ever bought? First CD I bought, well, first CD I like loved and remember having, I won from a radio station <gasps> and it was the Spice Girls CD. Oh. <laughs> yeah. An yeah. amazing CD. Yeah. I loved the Spice Wanna be, Girls. you know. Loved all the of Spice that. Girls. First CD I ever owned was Best of 100% Hits 93. Oh, really? Yes. Featuring what sort of track? We had Under the Bridge. <laughs> uh, we also had uh, a very... Uh, uh, some people go, <gasps> when I say this song, some people have never heard of it. Yeah. Johnny Gill's The Floor. The Floor. What a great oh, song. Oh, we're going to hit that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's um, which Spice Girl? Who was your favourite Spice Girl? Uh, Big question, I I know. (laughs) It is a huge question. Absolutely couldn't stand posh. Really? Because all she did was was go left, right and point. Uh, I thought Jerry made the Spice Girls. Yeah. I thought she was and once she left, the Spice Girls could be no more. It was just, I didn't know. I mean, everybody said Sporty had the best voice. I didn't agree, but she, I thought it was best of a bad bunch. But in terms of what she was bringing to the table, apart yeah. from the occasional sort of backward walkover, I didn't think a great deal. But Jerry for me. See, Jerry was mine as well 100%. because keep in mind this was formative years for me and Jerry wore the Union Jack dress where you could see her underwear. Oh my God. (laughs) That was the first non-soccer poster that went on my wall. And mum's like, why is that on there? I'm like, I like the Spice Girls and their music and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) What a creep. Um, So next question, if you weren't doing this and I mean showbiz, what would you be doing? Oh, wow. I like to think that it'd be something creative, um, but all of that would kind of tie into showbiz. Like, Quite a few people have said I'd be a good children's entertainer. (laughs) You know, I see some children's entertainers and I say these words to myself every time. There but for the grace of God go I. See, I'm I'm the opposite. I actually love the idea of it. There's nothing better like than kids who are into what you're doing. And like they're a very honest audience. But yeah. if they're into it, we go to a lot of schools with, with this. I've got my clearances and checks. Yeah, I can go to school. Of course. Yeah. Um, and I love it. Like you really feed off their energy. Um, if I wasn't doing this, well, professional soccer player. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But that is still on the cards. Well, that's right. Roger Miller, 42 at the yep. World Cup. So, so if it doesn't work years. out. And well, I guess we've touched on this a bit, but your advice to people wanting to get into the business. Yeah. I, I would say you've got to be genuinely passionate about it and you've got to follow that passion. So you might think, oh, my interests are a bit niche. You know, maybe you're like, I really want to, um, you know, make black and white films or whatever it is. Do it. Commit to it. That's the other thing. I think we mentioned it before. Be a doer, you know, make things happen. Accept that 
you know, not everything you make is going to be perfect. And it's part of having those, you know, imperfections that will eventually develop your style and your skills. And you've just got to accept that, yeah, that that's part of the process. And that's mm-hmm. how you get better at something. So be passionate about it, do it and back yourself in, you know, don't, don't question it. If, if it feels right and you're really, you're hungry to do something, you're interested in something, then follow that, go with that. Because even if it doesn't work out, you don't make a lot of money or it's not an amazing, you know, you know, on this, on what people would, society would say a success, you're doing what you love and that's satisfaction in itself. Mm. All right. I like to end on a bit of a hard-hitting Lee Sale-style oh. question. But you have actually got three. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah, because uh, there's a, f- a bit we haven't touched on. Um, so the first one is what's the weather in Toowoomba? <laughs> right now or tomorrow? <laughs> right now. It is currently – check the app on my phone. No. <laughs> he doesn't know unless somebody s- hands him a clipboard. <laughs> I'm going to say that it is – 17.2 degrees. 17. I want to test this. Okay, hang on a second. Let's <laughs> hang just on. see. Before you check it, yeah. what would you say? If I'm within two degrees, do you class that as a pass? Okay. Yeah, two degrees. 17.2. Two degrees. All right. Hang on a second. I'll let it this <laughs> How fast out. is your internet? <laughs> I'll let it this bit out. Hang on. I've got bongo drums at my house. Hang on. I'll do a drum roll. Here <laughs> okay, we go. go. <laughs> you are the shittest weatherman <laughs> ever. It's 26.4. <laughs> Wow. Okay, all right. Uh, second question, what is the obsession with cats? <laughs> and and we must get to this because you, on your on the table on which we're doing this podcast, yeah. um, I had to move out of the way a letter that had a number of cat photographs in it yeah. that I'd like to read on the podcast because I believe a fan has sent you a letter. A sunrise viewer. With yeah. a few photos of their yeah. cats. Let me just get it. <laughs> Handwritten letter, that's right. Old school, was sent to Channel 7, not to my home address. (laughs) Thank God. Dear Sam, you may recall that I met you briefly at Redfern Oval four or five weeks ago. How could you? You had just completed a weather forecast for the morning show, and we had a short chat before you left. The conversation was about cats in general. (laughs) That doesn't narrow it down a lot for me. (laughs) What a shock. Uh, And you spoke about yours. I thought you may be interested to have a look at my Siberian forest cat, Sonia. That's not jail talk for anything. (laughs) Quite a girl. It was enjoyable meeting you, Sam. Keep up your interesting and informative style in presenting the weather forecast for sunrise. I like that generic feedback. Interesting and informative style. That's what people think when they yeah. think Sam Mack. Interesting yeah, and informative. And a um, You didn't say who it was from, though, because oh that's a bit of a my, twist at the end. My apologies, my apologies. Signed. Signed John. <laughs> yeah, it's a man <laughs> who's passionate about cats. I think we have some sort of union going on here. It's like, I got your back, brother. I love cats. That is a real, real twist in the storyline. The, the, you are quite, I mean, I feel like, you know, for a man who has a scattergun approach to content, <laughs> one of the greatest sources of content is just you doing videos and photos of your cats. <laughs> so, um, the cat thing, the cat obsession. Look, um... Like anything, it started, it was just, you know, I liked cats. I like, mm. you know, like a normal person, I like animals. But then I quickly realised that they get more likes on Instagram than I do for photos of myself. <laughs> right. Um, no, so it's a strategic move. Yeah. <laughs> any any um, person with a pet or who's had a pet will know that they have their own unique personalities. And I find them funny. I find their complete um, nonchalance, mm. you know, and their, their um, disinterest in, in our lives. I find that so funny that I just love, you know, capturing that. And I don't know, it's, it's just... Um, it's become a bit of a theme with, you know, on the show and on social media and I just enjoy it. It's just fun. And I, I am a Sambassador for Sydney Dogs and Cats. So it is a great wordplay. I'll give you a moment to enjoy it. Okay, thank you. And we're done. Yep. Um, so I'm very passionate about helping rescue animals. Mm-hmm. What have you done for charity recently? Um, <laughs> so that's part of it as well. It's, you know, any chance that I can push that message and remind people to adopt and not to go and it's getting better not to go buy them at shops you know adopt uh, pets that are in need it's a great thing to get out there positive message but you also have drawn eyebrows on your cat <laughs> here and i mean yeah. that literally i walked in and your cat has drawn on eyebrows it's so true. it's, it's true. not all but- it's not all being out there trying to do things for charity is it it's a bit of getting eyeliner my housemate did it uh, <laughs> you can see that on my instagram account uh was that the last question the, well the final thing i wanted yeah. to say was um a final question question I wanted to ask is, am I going to possibly be able to leave your house without you insisting that you play something on this podcast? Was it weird that I was holding the guitar for that whole chat? Was that weird? (laughs) I felt like it was going to be impossible for me to leave without you laying down a track. Yes, Rachel, I'll play you a song. All right. Okay. 
okay. Let me just check my levels, bro. Okay, please. Um, this we're gonna, is... you, you're going to play us out, so we're going to say goodbye now because we're not going to say goodbye after this. I Thank you like... for having me on. Oh, Rachel. It's been an absolute pleasure. Don't you? Isn't don't musos usually play a bit of a did under while we're saying this goodbye? This it's been is a great podcast. This is it. This is where it's been lovely to have you, Sam. Well done. I wish you uh, ongoing success with the podcast. Absolutely. I hope this episode is the most downloaded. <laughs> it's not a competition. Um, and this is a song for you. Okay. That's not it. It gets better. <laughs> Standing across the room, I saw you smile. Yeah. I said I want to talk to you for a little while. But before I make my move, my emotions start running wild, yeah. My tongue gets tied, and that's no lie. Looking in your eyes, literally looking in your eyes right now. <laughs> looking in your big brown eyes. They are brown. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and I got this to say to you. Here we go. Uh-huh. Girl, I want to make you sweat. Sweat till you can't sweat no more. And if you cry out, I'm gonna push it some more. Girl, I wanna make you sweat, yeah. I sweat till you can't sweat no more. And if you cry out, I'm gonna push it, push it, push it some more. It's a song about Bikram yoga. And I'm gonna call the police. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and keep up to date, head to you've got to start somewhere.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of You've Got to Start Somewhere. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Sam Mack. I also hope you feel like you can rest easy tonight because we got to the bottom of the mystery of why he is obsessed with cats. A big thank you too if you have been one of the people who have been in touch with me this week via email, Facebook, Twitter, or who've left a review on iTunes about the podcast. I am so glad that you are enjoying these chats and I can't wait for the interviews that are still on the way. Today I sat down with TV legend Larry Emder and that interview is on the way in a few weeks. He tells some great stories about how he got into the business at the ripe old age of 15. If you love the show, please tell your mates about it or your family, your friends, whoever, people you meet in the street. Uh, And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Next week, I'll be chatting to Paul Murray, the host of Paul Murray Live, my ex-radio co-host, my ex-podcast co-host, about a lot of things, including why he was so drawn to talk back radio when he was a little kid. When my mum and dad split up in in, when I was in year three or whatever, um, for some reason, I just started connecting to Talkback Radio. I really dug Talkback Radio. And then sort of, you know... That's it was so weird at that age. That's so young. I know. It was like everyone was into David Ryman and the Hot 30 and all of this business. And yeah. I'm literally listening to Ron Casey and Stan Zamanik and Arch Tambakis and all very weird. Like wow. very, very weird. Did you get it at the time or was it just there was something about the show or the, their voice or them that I attracted think, you? I think the confidence... And I don't think I've ever talked about this uh, outside of a professional uh, therapist. <laughs> is that um, I thought those guys were so confident and so complete and so ready. Like life was good for them. So when sort of life was a bit not great, just trying to work out how the way the world worked and some other stuff on top of it, um, I went. I want to do that one day. So a massive drive for me in eventually getting into radio and having to tick off talkback radio was this silly idea that then I'll be happy. Mm. And then, of course, you realise that it's all a performance and there's sort of that's been the, the great internal churning of, of my career is going, oh, it's a performance. I hope you'll join me for that episode and many more to come. Thanks so much again for listening. I really do appreciate it and I'll see you next week. <laughs>